Welcome to the Indie Young Professionals Podcast, where we help 18 to 29-year-olds be great adults. We're going to interview leaders throughout the city of Indianapolis and talk to them about some of their successes and failures so that you can learn from them as you walk along this journey of life. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Indie Young Professional Podcast. We are sitting down with Jake Stamper today. Hi, Jake. Hi, how are you, Andrew? <laughs> great, great. Uh, Jake and I just met a couple minutes ago and really looking forward to a fun conversation, and we hope you find it helpful. Jake is the Senior Vice President of Sexton's Creek Marketing Agency. So, Jake, just on the, the professional front, why don't you just give us a little bit of an introduction to, obviously I just told your name and where you're currently at, but just wow. a little brief bio, where have you come from, what are you doing right now, what's your role, that kind of thing. So currently I'm the Senior Vice President of Sexton's Creek. Uh, Sexton's Creek has three business divisions, business division of business services, uh, business division of marketing, full service marketing firm, and then a business of government relations. And so I oversee the three different business units okay. and get to work and collaborate with my team uh, in a multitude of different ways. Because you, as you can imagine, marketing is dramatically different than what business services than, uh, would perform. And then again, drastically different than what government yeah. relations. So I am uh, continuously challenged and learning yeah. and trying to put together lots of moving parts and pieces. That's and so I great. love what I do. A um, little bit of background, yeah. Andrew, before yeah. that uh, is that um, I've been in communications, marketing, public relations my entire career, including my formal education. Okay. And so I had owned and operated as a CEO uh, marketing firm, and we went through an acquisition and a merger two years ago. So I've been in my current position at Saxon's Creek for two years, and it's been a wonderful transition. Uh, my entire team came with me to Saxon's Creek, merging with an, another incredible team at Saxon's Creek. And so we've had a lot of experience in what it looks like to form a new culture mm -hmm. and what a, a good, healthy culture looks like for our people. That's great. So it's been a, a fantastic experience. Were you the founder of the company or the CEO of as well? I was. Okay. And so I had spent many years in the international market Okay. Uh, working for large uh, ad agencies, basically. Cool. And realized sitting in Frankfurt, Germany one night trying to catch a red eye home from seeing a client. Yep. Um, I realized that I quickly had no meaning in my life, mm. that I was influencing people to believe things, uh, to engage with things that um, really were empty. Yeah. And so I decided that I was going to launch a whole new company that was uh, served as a paraclete. Mm -hmm. to individuals, organizations, and others uh, to help them influence people to engage in more meaningful things. And so I started representing a lot of faith-based not-for-profit organizations, a lot of churches, okay. a lot of other organizations that were just doing good in the community that understood what community looks like yeah. in its truest sense. So being the hands and feet of Christ. Right. Um, was important to me. And so I started that company and 11 years later, that company grew and grew and, and God continued to bless that company tremendously. And then we became a part of Sexton's Creek and we became a part of Sexton's Creek because Sexton's Creek owner, Bill Smith mm -hmm. had the same philosophy okay. that we needed to do, do good, right. um, work hard, do good, have fun is the motto for Sexton's Creek. Love it. And we do that in a, a very united kind of way. Wow. Amongst ourselves. So 
Yeah. Wow, I love it. Man, there's a lot there that I'm yeah. excited to talk about. Before yeah. we get into some of that stuff, let's do even some context further back. So you, you graduated from Western Kentucky, is that I true? I did. Okay. Western Kentucky University with a degree in corporate and organizational communications Okay. and a second degree in marketing. Excellent. Where were you born and raised? So I was born and raised in Southern California. Okay. And um, this might be important just to set up for the, the listening audience. Yeah. I was born and raised in Southern California in a lower socioeconomic class and I had a mindset of poverty Mm -hmm. and I was also a minority so as a white person living in a predominantly Hispanic area I was I can't recall how many but maybe five or six of us in a school named El Camino Mm -hmm. and the rest of everyone else was Hispanic so I had the opportunity to learn there what it looks like culturally to be a minority and right. what it feels like. Right. Uh, from there, I moved to Kentucky, and I spent a year in Kentucky, uh, which was a major culture shock, as you can imagine, because yeah. I went from the beach to uh, cornfield. Right. And how um, old were you? At that time, I was 11 years old. Okay. Wow. Uh, my father had passed away when I was 10. Okay. There was a family of five kids and my mom, and we wow. all moved. Uh, th- three of the children moved to Kentucky with my mother. Okay. And a uh, bit of a culture shock. I was in Kentucky for a year, and just as I was really acclimating to the culture of Kentucky, um, my mother met a young man or uh, a man that uh, took us to Belize, Central America. So I lived two years in Belize, Central America from age 14 to 16 years old. Wow. Um, through that time, because of my mindset of poverty and after my father's death, we became very independent children. Mm-hmm. We had to. It was survival of the fittest. Yeah. And already have been being in a so, lower social economic class. Uh, and everything being about quantity, not mm. quality or not presentation, but quantity just for survival mode, wow. I had become a very independent child. Mm. And so you can imagine what a 14 to 16-year-old kid running around Central America looks like. Mm. And the collective set of experiences that I had, not only in that two-year period leaning up to 16 years old, but also growing up as a minority, growing up with... Um, other issues mm. um, in, a, in a family setting wow. were challenging. Yeah. and um, But it was the greatest opportunity I actually have had in my life. Yeah. Greatest opportunity, not just Central America, but California and all the collective set of experiences uh, that came with it, the, the mindset of poverty mm-hmm. that came with it. And, and that, I should define, the mindset of poverty doesn't have anything to do with finances. It has to do with how I view the world. Mm. And so over that period of time, I had um, influences Mm -hmm. that caused me to view the world a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so the American dream became very important to me. Yeah. Because I thought, well, if I just had this, or if I just had a house and a picket fence and 2.5 kids Mm -hmm. and a a pretty dog. Right. uh, If I just had the ability to afford an automobile, if I just had, um, and the list goes on. Yeah. Um, And so I found myself living the, what I call the can't wait game. I can't wait to get my um, driver's license. Yeah. I can't wait to graduate high school. I can't wait to go to college, which no other sibling of mine had done. Okay. I can't wait. And, and I, I realized that I was just living in a can't wait game yeah. and looking forward to the next thing and not living in the present. Nor was I defining who I was Yeah. at that time. Wow. Or that age. 
So you are in Belize, mm-hmm. 14 to 16. I am, and then I came back to Kentucky after that. Okay. And finished up high school. Got it. So I was very fortunate to be able to clep out of the two years that I had missed. Okay. Because the state of Kentucky at that time um, allowed you, <clears throat> if you passed a test yeah. with an 80% or greater, you could just literally clep out of a whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I clepped out of my two years, and I graduated at 17 and a half, 18 okay. years old. And then and from then there straight to, to Western. Western Kentucky. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then you graduate Western Kentucky at 22 with these degrees. What was kind of the worldview mindset, you know, graduating college in light of kind of everything you've shared? Is that, was there significant things that changed for you during college? Was that mainly a time of the mindsets you had picked up and habits you had picked up being reinforced throughout college? And that's kind of how you entered into the real world or, or what? Yeah. Who who were you at twenty two graduating? Yeah. So let me let me back up to eighteen. Okay, uh, when I went to college because I went into college with um, almost a dual personality. Okay, um, I was very driven to accomplish what I believed at the time was the American dream, or mm-hmm. what I believe at the time how I how I defined success. Yeah, and success was wrapped around, like I'd mentioned earlier, the 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 house the cars, the successful career, the pressure that society had put on me mm-hmm. uh, or that I believed had put on me and defined those things. Yeah. Um, so during that time frame of 18 years old, I was using drugs heavily um, because of my experience in Belize. Drugs mm-hmm. were readily available. And I had become a drug dealer at 18 years old. And mm-hmm. so I was um, dealing drugs notably at 18 years old and through my entire college career from 18 to 22 years old, um, I, dr- I dealt drugs and used drugs of every sort. Mm-hmm. A buffet was completely acceptable to me mm-hmm. and preferred um, to the point that at 22 years old, I was arrested by the DEA and the FBI and I went to prison from 22 to 31 years old. Okay. So I spent, um, eight, well, almost eight and a half years in the federal penitentiary and then six months in a halfway house. Okay. And so that was a very different time for me. If we yeah. talk about being 18 to 29, 18 yeah. to 30 years old, I spent eight and a half years of that time frame, the bulk of it in a federal penitentiary doing hard time. Yeah. Uh, because I was arrested for, um, a very successful, uh, drug trade mm-hmm. and drug business and moving and selling a lot of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the truckload. Yeah. Okay. So that so you come out of prison at thirty one. Correct. Okay. So let's go into first because there's I've got a lot of professional questions I want to ask for sure. Yeah. It's, it's been a really cool journey that you have explained so far, but something else that you said was uh, that you've hit on is just the the different things you're going through growing up. Mm-hmm. led to different decisions. And one of the things you said that you, uh, I forget how exactly you said it, but something about maybe that you hadn't paid a lot of intentional attention to was deciding who you were. Yeah. And I think that I know for, for me, when I look back on, you know, 18 to 22, 18 to 26, whatever, and just me, my friends, people I walk with now, um, so many questions in life surrounding, you know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? But it seems like a lot of the angst that 
is behind a lot of those questions really is the question, who am I? Where yeah. do I fit? Where do I not fit? Just those, those types That's of right. things. So um, I don't even know exactly the great question to ask, but, yeah. but what's kind of, when you, when you look back, how, how do you see, how do you see that unanswered question impacting decisions yeah. or choices that you made? In, intentional thinking and intentional planning was not a part of my life. And so there's a term in communications called franchising the mind. Mm -hmm. And what that term means is through a very specific set of skills that um, God's blessed me with, but through a very specific set of skills, uh, marketeers are in the business of franchising our mind to believe something. Mm. Um, And I had mentioned that I had had beliefs, uh, the American dream, how I define success. Well, those things are a part of franchising the mind. And so we're exposed from birth on to over 3,000 advertisements a day, mm-hmm. every day, at least in America, uh, that are telling us what we need to be doing. And they're influencing our mind. And if we don't have deliberate, intentional mm. time with ourselves, and if you are a believer, time with God, to set the parameters of who you want to be, then you're being led by whatever savvy marketeer tells you this is real and true. And so the term franchising the mind is if if I were to ask a listening audience, what do you clean your ears with? A vast majority of them would say Q-tip. When quite frankly, what you clean your ears with is a cotton swap. Mm-hmm. But we have franchised the mind as marketeers to believe that it's actually a Q-tip. Right. And the same thing applies to facial tissue versus Kleenex. Yeah. And while those are fun things to entertain mentally, uh, the truth of the matter is that um, we are all influenced on a much greater level um, by marketeers, by communicators, as to what we believe to be real or true. So I came out of, of high school and going into college with the belief and definitions of things to overcome poverty such as as, uh, success and what that looks like, it was all Mm money-driven. And so I had a franchise mind to believe that value or significance meant a successful career and it meant earning a lot of money and it meant 2.5 kids and it meant a fancy house and a fancy car and so forth. Um, And so the lesson that I walked away with to get back to your question of who am I, didn't happen until I had been sitting in prison for two years. Okay. And after sitting in prison for two years, I started to ask myself, who am I and what is it that I want to believe? Mm -hmm. Because what I had never intentionally done was create an opportunity for myself and define who I was and then collapse that opportunity into a reality. Mm -hmm. And I never put together a set of tactics or a set of goals that worked on me. All my tactics and goals that I were try, was trying to achieve, and I had mentioned earlier that I kind of had a little dual personality. So yeah. simultaneously, as a drug addict and as a drug dealer in college, I was also an honor student. I was also on the dean's list, semester in and out. I was also the person that gave the incoming speeches to all the freshmen. So by the facade mm-hmm. of, quote, success as I defined it, I was motivated to achieve those incredible things. Yep. 
um, to walk out with a 4.0, to be the uh, golden child of the president of the university, to on and on and on participate as the director of tutorial services to the athletic department while also simultaneously being a notable drug dealer. Um, you don't get, you don't get eight and a half years in the federal penitentiary for a bag of pot. Right. So we're talking about truckloads. Right. Um, and so that dual life was all driven because my mind was franchised to believe that success was defined a certain way mm-hmm. and that the American dream was defined a certain way. And then when I started to say, who am I two years into the federal penitentiary and what is it that I wanted to be, I forgot and erased the collective set of experiences that I had had in my life and started from new. Yeah. So I always use the term, I shook the etch-a-sketch. Mm-hmm. And got rid of all of the lines and said, if I were going to create a different human being, wow, what would that human being look like? Wow. And I started to realize that prior to that shaking of the Etch-A-Sketch and starting the journey on becoming a different human being uh-huh. and asking myself, who is it that I want to be? I realized that I had been, my mind had been franchised and that all of my goals that I was trying to achieve whether it was the drug dealing goal to make money mm-hmm. or whether it was being on the dean's list and being a successful college student, all of those goals were driven without any morals, ethics, or consideration to anyone else, other people. Right. My sense of community was how can I use you right, to achieve my goals? And so one of those lessons where goals need to have moral law, mm. goals need to have... Uh, foundation Hmm. and so one of the first things that I explored as in answering the question who am I well it was more so who do I want to be yeah was do I want to believe that there's a God Hmm. do I want to believe that there's a moral law of Hmm. any level Um, and having access through the federal penitentiary to multiple religions because they have to Mm-hmm. I tried multiple religions. I became Buddhist for a while. I became Native American for a while and did the sweat lodge. And mm-hmm. that's no fun. That's a whole lot of <laughs> that's a whole lot of sweating. Um, and I, I ended in believing that okay, I'm going to um, become a Christian, but it was a different perspective. I didn't learn scripture by reading scripture to what the church teaches. Yeah. I learned scripture by identifying with Jesus and saying, okay, this Jesus dude, as a non-believer, looks like he's a pretty good dude. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to examine the characteristics of Christ, peace, joy, uh, and the list goes on, grace, compassion, love. And I want to learn how to mimic those. Yeah. Because those seem like those are pretty good things I should have in my life. Right. And, and I realized after trying to increase the amount of love that I had for others and increase the amount of compassion and increase the amount of peace and the, the amount of joy and the amount of grace that I had, I realized that I couldn't do it without him. Mm. Then salvation started to step into the picture. Hmm. And that was the basis for what I've been tethered to ever since. Right. Because I make decisions now on my life, in my career, in my marriage, in every aspect of my life, based on what some non-believers may call moral law. Mm -hmm. But for me, what 
scripture says. Yeah. And so I'm always tethered to scripture, whether I'm going to go into a business deal or whether I'm going to go into a new relationship as a mentee or a mentor, Mm -hmm. or whether I'm going to go into the relationship with my wife, Mm -hmm. it's all tethered to what I believe to be truth. Because for so many years in my life, I lived with a franchised mind and was influenced to believe things that may or may not be true. Mm -hmm. So when I ask the question of who am I or who do I want to be, I realized I need a foundation that I believe to be absolute truth. Yeah. What is that foundation? And for me personally, that foundation was Jesus Christ, the person that I'm in love with. Yeah. And trying to mimic to the best of my ability to become. And that is not something that is compartmentalized. That's something that is the foundation of all that I do. Right. And so my career is treated as I move, I move through my career with that foundation. Right. As I move into marriage and through marriage, I move with that foundation. Right. As I decide what to, how to best use my home and allow people to, to live with us, it's because of that foundation. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend to any listener, yeah, identify a foundation. Otherwise, you're just being led by a bunch of marketeers and a bunch of communicators to believe things that may or may not be true. Wow, it's so good. Uh, wow. You're hitting on so much good stuff. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Sure. So we've got about nine minutes left in this episode. So I want to focus <clears throat> on, I want to ask you a couple more questions just specifically to some of what you have been talking about because uh, something that it seems like we've talked about for sure with every guest, if not even just in every episode with every guest is the importance of determining and and setting for myself in these years, what is my worldview? What is my, what is truth? What is the foundation that I'm building on? Because I think, like we said earlier, so much of the angst of the, where am I going? What am I doing? Questions comes from not having a foundation to be built on. I love how you said, shake the Etch-A-Sketch mm-hmm. because we all have an Etch-A-Sketch. We've all have lines that have been drawn for us. The family we were born into, the places we grew up or were taken to or the environments we found ourselves in. We have lines we've drawn for ourselves, be that goals, motivations, um, heroes, people we aspire to become or be or emulate. That's right. And there's such an important value in, um, at least even if, even, even if you redraw some of those lines or keep some of those lines, pushing up against every single one of them and just deciding which one do I want to keep and which ones do I want to erase for good. Okay. So what I'm getting at is that is, uh, that takes, like you've said, in serious intentionality, you had the opportunity of prison mm-hmm. to have the time and right. the, the, op- yeah, the opportunity to really dive into those. So how do you, how do you coach young people now, people you mentor or just talk to or whatever on, prioritizing that process. And, and even before you get into that, you, so two years into prison, you start really digging into the question. At what point did you land on your answer of, of Jesus? Yeah. How many years or months or whatever did that little, yeah, that, take? It, that, that took probably a year, okay, maybe 18 months for okay. me to realize I cannot mirror or mimic mm-hmm. the characteristics of Christ and live into being a good disciple. Right. I didn't know what that meant then, right. but live into being a good disciple without one accepting him as my Lord and my savior. Mm-hmm. 
And then two, um, it takes a lot of practice and Mm -hmm. practice is ongoing indefinitely. Mm -hmm. It never stops. Right. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Um, and it takes a lot of practice, but it gives the foundation and the bumpers or the guardrails, if you will, for me to make decisions in my life. Yeah. That's so good. And the reason I wanted to ask that first is just that it takes time. And I think at least for me, one of the things, one of the things I, I, I have a hard time dealing with the most in life is that's, it seems like some of the most important things take time to land on, which I'm like, if it's so important, I should re- I should know it now. And yeah. I just, it's just good to tell everybody like it's okay for it to take time. It um, is. And that is especially important with folks that are 18 and 29 yeah, now. Right. Um, I'm, I'm in my 50s. So it's, it's, it's a little bit different space in, in time and, and life. But, um, I think there are challenges now facing 18 to 29 year olds that I did not have to face. And I would encourage the audience, one listening audience to realize that challenges are not bad. Mm -hmm. They're actually wonderful learning opportunities. And sometimes folks that, and I have several mentees that realize the things that are happening in their lives right now are not, don't over-dramatize them. They're actually incredible opportunities. And if you look in James, it says that we're going to experience trials and tribulations, and that will lead to perseverance. Mm. And the list goes on. Right. And all the things after trials and tribulations is what we want. Yeah. We don't want the trial and tribulations, but we want the perseverance, perseverance, and we want the character, and and we want all those things, right? absolutely. But that's not what we're told right we're told there's going to be trials and tribulations yeah so during those formative years of 18 to 29 years old excuse me what a great opportunity to put a different lens on your eyes and to be able to see and say while this may be a tough time Mm -hmm. look prison wasn't easy living in central america wasn't easy being poor wasn't easy Mm -hmm. being a minority wasn't easy Mm -hmm. um i struggled with obesity during during periods of those times none of that was easy Mm -hmm. all of that was a gift for me to learn what i wanted to be and who i wanted to be Mm. and what an amazing opportunity because now can we embrace trials and tribulations Mm -hmm. in a different way to say bring it right because in and through trials and tribulations, I can learn and I can become better and I can be become better to the community, to myself and to everyone around me, in, including in my relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And so why, and, and I guess my perspective is different, when a certain trial or a certain tribulation of some sort, a challenge presents itself, we can tackle that in a couple of different ways. We can act like we're victims. Mm-hmm. That's one way. Oh, poor me. I can't believe I got dealt this card. Now what do I do? And we can run to the counselor. Nothing wrong with counselors. My wife is a counselor. We can run to the counselor or we can look at it differently and say, this is amazing. I can't believe I get to deal with the death of my father. Because when I come out of this, mm. how much more of a warrior will I be? How much better suited will I be? I can't believe I got the opportunity to go to the federal penitentiary for eight and a half years and learn the things I learned because it set me up 
to be better. Yeah. I can't believe I had the opportunity to be a drug dealer and run a successful drug business mm -hmm. to the point that it got me eight and a half years in the federal penitentiary. <laughs> right. That's how successful it was, yeah, right? Whatever, right. that's all relative, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because I've owned multiple businesses since I've been set free. And many of the lessons that I learned in the drug trade mm -hmm. have been applicable to legitimate legal businesses. <laughs> right. And many of the, the cultural differences that I experienced in poverty and in um, different countries helped me and prepared me better. So I want those experiences. I embrace those experiences, even if the experience is death. What a wonderful learning opportunity. And so I would tell anyone between 18 to 29, Grab a hold of it. It's your bull to ride. Come on. And have a good time doing it. <laughs> and, and now so good. I have I to it. give the disclaimer, Andrew, because yeah. the comfort and the peace and the joy in those times that prevent you from becoming a victim is understanding your foundation and your personal relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because if you have that, then you can embrace fully because you have trust that you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. Wow. It's powerful, powerful, powerful. Wow, that's a great place to end this week's episode. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Jake Stamper. We're going to uh, start our second episode for next week. Uh, we're going to dive into a bunch of awesome uh, more stuff, so make sure you check next week's episode. Thanks so much for being here, Jake. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Indie Young Professionals Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on YouTube as well as the bell so that you'll be alerted when we release new episodes. You can also follow us on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to know more about us and about the people that we're interviewing, follow us on Instagram at Indie Young Professionals. Thanks. Have a great day.